the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're a high school boys trending conservative. And then we're joined by Dr. Russell Moore to talk about his new book, Losing Our Religion. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Aubrey, it feels like we've got, uh, you know, I just, as we talked about yesterday, just came back from vacation. Yes, yes. And now my kids are starting school sports. Uh, and all so stuff. crazy. So it feels like it's this. But I've got friends down in Tennessee whose kids started school on August 4th. I know. So do I. That's Isn't that nuts? nuts? I know. It's so like Unless they're wild. getting out on April 15th. That seems like. <laughs> it is so early to go. And it's hot I down there, I wonder the thought too. process. That's right. I wonder the thought process. But So I also, I have this friend out on, the, uh, on Seattle, Pacific Northwest, and she was saying they start school, um, like, not until after... Is it what's Labor the Day. September after yeah, Labor Day? Yeah, but that's then what it was growing up. So they get their normal two breaks of Christmas, two weeks of Christmas. In February, they get like a midwinter yeah, yeah. week off, and then in March they do spring break, and they still end up getting out around the same time our kids do. So I'm like, that's less school huh. than our kids are in. Yeah, I don't know how that works. That was kind of the schedule for me growing up out east, although oh, we really? got out super late. Like I remember graduating high school, like, but th- this is what I my kids would be like, how did you do that? That's yeah. really, I'm like, this is all that I knew. We would always start the Tuesday or Wednesday after Labor Day. Yes, I think that makes so much sense. And then we would, I graduated high school like June 22nd. No way. Yes. Okay, that's really late. I wish it would just be the Memorial Day to Labor Day thing. Yeah, it's just, you got all those holidays in there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's just, oh well, whatever. Uh, here's what we do know. August 4th. Entirely too, too early. early. Way too entirely early. Entirely too early. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they, all those schools have air conditioning because that is hot. Yeah. I guess the parents are thankful, though. They're like, yes, my yes. kids are back in school. So I, as uh, we talked about, I was gone last week. Thankful for Catherine McNeil, who sat in. Yeah, she was uh, here uh, almost all the week. It was really fun. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, I couldn't. I, I was having trouble listening <laughs> on the beach. So... <laughs> I still you, got, did, you didn't get AM radio I, signal out I there. I still have on some other ones to catch up on. Uh, but I was saying, I want to talk about this. You go, oh, Catherine, I talked about this already. So yeah. I'm diving in with you I here. I love it. I love Over it. Over at the Hill the other day, and you said you guys talked about it. So I'd love to hear where you guys landed, and then I'll give you my thoughts. High school boys are trending conservative. So. This is kind of a political, just kind of worldview yeah. in which you, we always think younger generations are more liberal, right. are more yes. progressive, right. are more this. And that is the study here says that that is av- very much true. When it comes to girls. Now, this isn't like this huge spike, well, but it's, uh, yeah. it's a trend. Right. And the right. trend for girls in high school is towards uh, more liberal. The trend towards high, for high school boys 
is towards more conservative. So they're not majority conservative. Yeah. It's towards conservative. But if you look at the charts, they're kind of just opposite. Yeah. They're trending in opposite directions. And so there's been a lot of people going, what is this about and what do we do? You got three sons. Mm-hmm. I've got a son in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, having a son, I'm not sure this surprises me very much. So wondering where you and Catherine, what, what did your conversation, what do you think about this? Uh, and then I will give you my thoughts. Well, some of the places we landed were the the stats aren't exactly accurate because the person who wrote the chart failed to add the moderates. And so there was a massive percentage of political moderates and last a massive percentage of those who said, I did not know. So for whatever reason, it almost felt like there was a little bit of an agenda in this stat to try to overrepresent something that may or may not actually be happening. So that's where we kind of landed was like, is this even a story or is someone just trying to like manipulate the data a little bit? But let's say it is true. Like you said, it's a trend and not necessarily this like massive moment in history. But we're seeing, hey, for boys, trend towards a little more conservative for girls, trend a little more towards liberal. It was hard to narrow down the why, especially for high schoolers, because you think, well, some high schoolers are very politically minded, but um, a lot of it depends on where their parents stand, where their peers stand, the city they lived in, they live in. The only thing that we kind of came up with, and this was actually looking at some of the comments on this particular story, was that it sort of protects the young boys to go conservative because that's who's in charge of the political party and that's who's gaining like the conservative the the power in conservative politics so you're not necessarily going to choose a political party that feels like it's more about you know women or more about i don't know different something that doesn't protect your power but that was just based on comments. Like, honestly, it was kind of hard to know simply by looking at this research. Oh. So I here's where I took it. And again, it's trends. So it's when you take the conservative and moderate the, and the liberal. So throw moderate into either side. The yeah. girls are going one way. The boys are going another. Yeah. Even if you add in the moderates. Uh, I think there's something to be said. And this is where I think it gets to the church a little bit. Uh there is a – maybe you've not seen it in your boys, so I'd, I'd be interested. There's a strange – like I think a lot of our boys, especially in the church, they know that there's something wrong with some of the conservative men and the way they talk and this and that. Yeah. But there's still a, a manliness that they are drawn to. Like there's the uh, – Say more. So uh, – there's who's that guy? And he's not even like a politics guy at all, but he's deplorable. Uh, Andrew the, Tate. Do you know that guy? I don't online? know. He is awful. Okay. We'll Google him. OK, I will. But he has such a draw amongst young men because even in his deplorableness, he's like a guy. OK, he's kind of like um, um, the podcaster who's super famous. Yes. Um, uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan like that. I think he's another great example. Yeah. OK. That, I think there's now an, I'm following I think you. there's not even in what they necessarily stand for. But I think that our guys are are young men. I was this way as a young guy. Mm. You link onto people, to men who are like, 
that's like a man's man. Okay. Right? Like okay. there's a, there's a reason that that's kind of what they send our kids in video games and this and that. Yeah. And that uh, for better or for worse, I don't think liberal politicians and what they're talking about are going in that direction. So even if, mm. uh, you know, politi- conservative politicians, they still talk tough. They still talk this. Yeah. And the reason I think that's interesting, interesting is because I think the church – I, again, I don't think our role as the church is to talk tough for high school boys, sure. but it's to help teach high school boys, college men, young men, what is a man? Yeah. What is – someday go back and look at who this Andrew Tate guy yeah, is. Yeah, no, gonna be I'm like, looking right now. I sure I, hope my boys aren't – Absolutely not. I, I had a not. conversation yeah. with a young man who said, I know he's terrible, mm. but – Interesting. And it was everything we're talking about right yeah. here. It was like almost like it was cool to like this guy, even though he is like he might be dealing in sex trafficking. Oh, <laughs> and my you're gosh. Like, but because he represents this machismo thing. That's his image. Like, yeah. Okay. And I, I think that's what's going on here. Like mm. I I listened to my so son and some of his like friends. Trump and, represents like. The, I think Trump represents a fake machismo, but I think that it is still that. And so, so the conservative, so the I'm boys gonna be are the fighter. Choosing, I'm gonna yeah. be the this, and yeah. there's this kind of like I'm standing up for. Gotcha. Uh, I think hyper masculine. I think a lot of us when we're older, we kind of see through it, and we're yeah. like, okay. But I think back in high school, there's a reason why really young Brian, uh, out of college, yeah. early on. Listen to Mark, Mark Driscoll, Driscoll all totally. the time. Yes. And now when I listen to him, I go, mm, yeah, there's some things he says that I can agree with. But, man, a lot of that thing that really drew me before. Yeah. I, I kind of actually pushes me away Absolutely. now. And I, I think I only wanted to bring that up because I think as pastors, as parents, you've got three kids. I have you got three, three boys. boys. Uh, and it might not always be the athletics or the this or the mm-hmm. that, but I think there's something where they're searching for what's it mean, what does it to, mean be to be guy? a boy? Yeah. And I think some of these, especially kind of like the Joe Rogans or the conservative people, they, they're more attractive to So this. then, yeah, that's interesting to me to think about the church and where the, the mentors in my son's life, mm-hmm. who I want them to be and how I want the, them to pour in like an accurate portrayal. What's of it mean to be a man? Biblical manhood. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All Interesting. right. Coming up next, Aubrey, someone we've been excited to have on the show for a long time, Dr. Russell Moore, yeah, uh, editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. He's the host of the podcast called The Russell Moore Show. Uh, he is also the author of a new book called Losing Our Religion. An altar call for evangelical America. Super excited to have on Russell Moore next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today uh, and also the author of a new book, Aubrey, that I think is so important out there called Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. That is Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing great. It's so good to have you mm-hmm. on the show. So we good. really appreciate it. And, and the book, uh, such an important book, especially for this time. And in it, you talk about um, kind of a path forward for the new generation, the next generation who has been disillusioned and exhausted from the last couple years. And so really big picture here. Describe what you feel like has happened, especially in the church, in the last couple years and what it's especially done to the younger generation? 
Well, I think there are a lot of people wondering, is Christianity just a means to an end, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what that end is? And so I've seen a lot of people disillusioned and some of them becoming cynical. And really, in some ways, this book was written to me because mm. I found myself starting to become cynical. And wow. I just don't think that's a fruit of the Spirit. Mm. I, hearing you say that, Dr. Moore, I'm thinking, I need to read this book. This person needs to read this book. This person needs to read this book. Um I, I guess, you know, talk to us about that, like the cynicism and how it's crept in. And, you know, what is the altar call you're calling Christians back to, perhaps, or to in a new way? Well, if you think about what an altar call uh, is or, or was, it's both bad news and good news. Mm. Uh, you have to face face honestly uh, the situation that you're in, uh, but it doesn't end there. It ends with something something good on the other side of it, and I think that's really where we are right now. Um, and so when I, when I see people starting to become cynical, they really can do that in, in a couple ways. I mean, one of them is just to say, I'm giving up, I'm done, I'm mm-hmm. walking away. Yeah. And the other is to say, oh, well, this is the way the game is played, so I'm just going to play it this way. Yeah. yeah. And that's even worse yeah. spiritually for someone. Yeah. So politics in general, Dr. Moore, what do you think – uh, we as evangelicals in the church as a whole, as I said, Aubrey and I are both pastors, and we try to lead people in this conversation. How should we view politics? How do you tell the Christian to view politics and political participation? Well, we we very rarely see politics right now. Mm-hmm. And that's always shocking when I, I say, <laughs> yeah. people, uh, say that to people because they say politics is everywhere, but it's not. What What we're dealing with right now is not actually what politics is meant to be which is the way that we cooperate together in the civil space to get things done. Right now, politics has become a kind of tribal identity marker, and it's become a source for meaning and purpose and transcendence. And none of those things are what politics is meant to be, and it puts a weight on politics that's too heavy for it to bear. And so what we end up with is a situation we're in right now, which mm. is which nobody really expects anything to get done. Mm. What we expect is to be able to kind of exile one another yes. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and to do it that way. That's one of the reasons why you know, one of the, the major issues that I get asked by people is, look, how do I remain connected with friends or family members who disagree with me mm-hmm. politically? Yep. And that's all they want to talk about. Yes. You know, that, that that has become an issue that is overwhelming. I mean, even to the point that someone uh, tell me that they had a family text thread <laughs> and they realized, oh, wait, sometime along in here, it became two family text threads mm. and she wasn't on one of them. That is that is real and relatable right there. I think I've been the, on those text threads. Yeah, I think, I think I'm on the I'm on one or the other yeah. for sure, depending on who I'm talking to in my family. Um, you know, one of the you know, one of the phrases that we've heard a lot over the past few years is this make America great again. You say something mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. The challenge before us is not to make America great again, but to make evangelicalism born again. Can you unpack that for us and our listeners? 
Yeah, I think one of the things that we really need to recover is the strangeness of Christianity. And that's one of the things that at its best evangelical Christianity has always emphasized, uh, which is that Christianity is not just kind of coming in and putting a a Jesus hood ornament on whatever the uh, aspirations or resentments of of any particular culture or movement are, but instead is calling people to something entirely different. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are feeling kind of homeless right now. And people will, will often say, it's disorienting because I feel homeless. But that's actually, I think, a good thing. Because you can only feel homeless if if you feel like you had a home. And, of course, as Christians, we, we don't have an ultimate home mm-hmm. this side of the New Jerusalem. So that sense of homelessness sometimes is the start of something really good. Yeah. You touched on this before, Dr. Moore, but uh, in your book you talk about how it used to be adults praying for their wayward children, and now it's children going, I've lost my parents. I've lost my parents to this ideology or that. Somebody younger who's listening right now about the text thread or about that's their family, what would you tell them? What's the encouragement? How would you tell them to move forward? Well, the the main thing I tell them is try to maintain the connection. Mm -hmm. And usually what I've found to work, and here's what I think is good news. It's almost never that one of those younger Christian is saying to younger Christians is saying to me, uh, "Tell me how to win an argument mm-hmm. uh, with my parents mm-hmm. or my mentor or whoever it is." They're almost always saying, "How do I maintain connection? Because I love these people and yeah. I want to be with them." Yeah. And I found that if you will just say, "Look." We disagree on some of these issues, or maybe even we agree, but we but we don't have the same uh, level of importance that we attach to them. Uh, it, let's can we just kind of be together as mm-hmm. family and just don't talk about those mm-hmm. things right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you that that sounds like oh well, that's kind of copping out. It, it's really not. Mm-hmm. It's saying there's something that's more important right. than this debate, and that's that I love you and I want to remain connected mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And often, I mean, what, what happens is uh, if, you, if you disconnect, you make the situation a lot worse. Right. I mean, one of the reasons why we're in the situation with conspiracy theories and fear and anger and so forth is because people are really lonely yeah. mm. and uh, really disconnected. So maintain connection as much as you can. Mm. Um, Dr. Moore, earlier you talked about just kind of your own, like you kind of recognized you were bitter, but that wasn't a fruit of the spirit. How did writing the book help you kind of process some of that stuff? What did God show you in the middle of that? Well, I don't think it was bitterness because I think I have the opposite set of sins, uh, which is I tend to have a kind of nostalgia mm. uh, in, in which I sort of edit out uh, everything that's that's bad. Um, and so writing this book really, uh, really caused me to just take a good, honest look at the situation that we're in. Um, and and I typically have a tendency to try to avoid that, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it it really forced me to do that. And one of the things I mean that that really caught me that I really was becoming kind of cynicism uh, cynical. It wasn't bitterness. It mm-hmm. was just. I'd kind of lost expectation. Mm. And I had a young man who came to our church and walked in, and uh, I said, you know, what, what are you doing here in, in town? And he said, well, I just moved here because I want to go to mechanic school. 
And he said, my grandfather was a mechanic and was a godly man that I saw uh, minister to people all through our community um, as a, an auto mechanic, and I want to be just like him. Oh, that's so and it cool. just wow. struck me in the moment, this the sheer sincerity of that and the way that the Spirit is still moving. And I thought, how, 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 how was I getting to the point where I was starting to become numb to that? Yeah, mm. yeah. Dr. Moore, let, let me close this out with this question. Uh, there's so many of us, myself included, I would love to tell you this just here on the air, love your writing and really resonate with a lot that you've said over the last couple of years. But uh, you've taken a ton of bullets from the church, from the Christian world. So I'm wondering what keeps you hopeful? What keeps you optimistic as you look forward at the church? And uh, yeah, what, what keeps you going? Well, one of those things is something I can't see and one is something that I do. Uh, what I can't see is the promise that Jesus gave. I will build my church. Mm-hmm. There, there's no asterisk uh, after that. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I believe, I believe he was telling the truth. Uh, but what I can see are these signs of life uh, taking place all over the place. Uh, young uh, people who are taking up their cross and following Christ, sometimes in, in ways that are very costly. And you look around, and you see what God's doing around the world uh, in which people are coming to faith in China and Iran and Cuba and other places. Who could not be excited by that? Yeah, mm. that's, that's a great perspective there. Again, uh, Dr. Russell Moore is the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Aubrey, I should also mention his podcast, The Russell Moore Show. Remember I was telling you about the oh, yeah. uh, episode with Rain Wilson, we uh, talked Dwight about Schrute? We on the show. That was amazing. A fascinating conversation. I'd encourage people to check out the podcast, The Russell Moore Show. And for our conversation today, go get the new book, Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. Dr. Moore, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. One of my favorite things, Aubrey, about doing this show is to go, I didn't think there was really any context. I'd talk to Russell Moore. Yeah, today we got to talk to Russell Moore. That was amazing. That was really fun. That was really fun. His new book, Losing Our Religion, uh, an altar call for American evangelicalism is a must read. Uh, I told you my brother-in-law, we were on vacation this week, and that's what he was reading on vacation. I'm like reading John Grisham or like (laughs) – some other book that means Some nothing. Right. And he's like, well, you know, I'm digging into what more I had to say. So uh, that's cool. I always feel a little guilty. My daughter was reading about my oldest daughter. She's someday you just need to sit down and ask her about all of her interests. But uh, she was reading a book by an old Wheaton prof of mine, Gary oh. Burge, about oh. like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. No, and she I'm wasn't. Like, yeah, I'm going to open up my James Patterson book right now. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, they call them beach reads for a reason. That's you right. know what I mean? That's so, right. Uh, but Russell Moore, I thought this would be interesting to talk about coming off of our conversation with Russell Moore. Michael Horton, uh, people might know him. He's written a bunch of books. He also, this is one of the first popular Christian podcasts out there. In fact, the first time I remember hearing this, somebody gave it to me on tape. Oh, like that's nice. where he was at the wow. beginning. Called the White Horse Inn. And uh, it's okay. kind of a theology. They'll sit around and talk about theology and okay. stuff. White Horse Inn, I believe that's Martin Luther and kind of a look back to that. Okay. Uh, But he, over the Gospel Coalition, talked about this, why America is not a Christian nation. That'll get some guys in trouble right there. Yeah, that's it. So I want to listen to a little bit of what Michael Horton had to say. There you go. (laughs) After Russell Moore, we just talked to him about how does he keep going. Now Michael Horton's like, I'm diving in. I'm going. (laughs) I'm going there. Because a lot of people... 
one of the biggest things about America for them is we are a quote unquote Christian nation. I'm just thinking of all of the people in my right? life that I hear say that a lot. Yeah. And so Michael Horton is stepping in here going, no, here's why it's not a Christian nation. Mm. Here's the problem with that. Let's let him speak from his own words. Here's uh, Michael Horton. See, the problem with Christian nationalism isn't that some Christians are taking a biblical idea too seriously. You hear that in the media sometimes. That's not the problem. It's that they're confusing America with Israel under the Old Covenant. From a biblical perspective, it's actually heretical. It confuses the law with the gospel. Christian nationalism violates the doctrine of one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Despite what we hear in the oratory of the left and the right alike, there is no national soul. Salvation does not come to nations that, like Israel of old, rededicate themselves to the law, Second Chronicles 7.14. And besides, even if it did, we've broken it repeatedly, even while we were singing about God having crowned our good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. This unbiblical ideology of an American covenant not only coincided with but helped to provide the spiritual justification for slavery, manifest destiny, and ethnic segregation. All right. Right at the beginning, Aubrey, he says the problem with Christian nationalism isn't that some Christians are taking the Bible too seriously. It's that they're confused. They're confused about the role of America in the biblical narrative. What do you think of that? So this is I would not have been able to say these words, Mm -hmm. but I have heard, um, you know, a handful of people say things like America is the new Israel Mm -hmm. or or really confusing Biblical prophecy, biblical language about Israel and sort of just interjecting or like um, swapping America for Israel. And so I actually think he's right that it's a it's a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he says it's heretical to uh, confuse America with Israel under the old covenant. And I. It's an interesting thought because we do say America is a, a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian values. Yeah. It was founded by Christian forefathers. Like that's kind of the language that we use. And I think a lot of people say that without really thinking you know, much about it one way or the other. But it does seem to go a little bit further when we talk about America as promised land or mm-hmm. America as mm-hmm. the new elect, America as God's chosen America as the city on a hill for the other nations like that's that to me is even different than saying our forefathers went to church. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. He said kind of the money area for this that we listen to. He says there's nothing wrong with Christians involving themselves in politics uh, in whatever nation they call home. There's nothing wrong with participating in protest for public policies. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic, he says. Love for nation. You and I talk about that all the time. Yep. But none of this should be confused with the Christian's identity in the transnational family of God. Mm. And no national political agenda or ideal can take priority mm. over God's global mandate and mission. It goes back to what we say all the time. It's just bigger than America. Yeah. It's, I love this country so much. Like, I hang the flag at the 4th of yeah. July. Sometimes it feels like you either have to be like, this is a Christian nation or I hate America. Right. And <laughs> right. I think what, that's why we talk about this. That's why Russell Moore wrote his book. Like, no, no, I love America. 
But but America is not the ultimate for me. It's it's the kingdom of God. And we've got to be able to separate those two. Otherwise, things get really dangerous. Well, and then I think if we think about like, let's, you know, and I know Michael Horton talks about this, but let's move. Let's move from Israel under the old covenant to Jesus as the new and complete Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is our hope. Christ's yes. kingdom is who our allegiance is to. And so, like you said, hey, pray for our nation. Celebrate the fourth. Love it. L- eat the hot dogs and watch the fireworks. <laughs> I, and- love, I love for America, you go eat the hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what are we known for? Eating yeah. the hot dogs. Eat the hot dogs. No, I mean, I think the the mandate that we see throughout, uh, you know, the book of Jeremiah, like a call to be in a place that's not completely our home because heaven is our home. But uh, be about the flourishing of that place and its people plant gardens there build roots there like do all of those things in Jesus name but mm. remember like whose kingdom we belong to who the actual hope of the world is it's not the United States of America right. it's not any of our elected officials it's not even any of our churches our pastors it's Jesus and then it also brings up what is the flip side of it is what's our purpose? Mm. Like if America is the ultimate, if it's all about Christian nationalism and and making America, you know, Christian again, mm-hmm. if you will, then that puts a lid. Like I'm just focused on my nation and God's is call the, to us is the, the mission is the world. That's it. That's it is it. going through all the world, right? Yeah. Like that's the great commission, including our neighborhoods, including our states, including our country, but then also including the globe. And uh, and so I think what Horton's calling us to is just something bigger, yeah. just kind of a bigger view just of what's out there. Remember that God's boundaries are larger than right. the fifty states, and that our yeah, our mission, our calling is to the globe. And I also think just remembering, like, for us as American Christians to posture ourselves as like humble before other nations that know God in a way we don't, mm-hmm. and know worship Jesus in ways that we don't, like what. What's the gospel from those other nations that we need to hear and we need to learn and we need to submit ourselves before? Where's mutuality? Where's honoring? Where like I feel like it's we're called to the nations and also we're called to learn from the nations who've been worshiping Jesus in different circumstances than we have. A lot of them, let's be honest, out of the margins or from persecuted places. As American Christians, we have a lot to learn about God in the margins, like God in those people. And so I think it does. It opens our minds to remember we're part of a global Christianity, not just a Western American Christianity. Our mission and like how big our God is as he's reflected through people around the world. That's a great way to great way to put it. Good word there from Michael Horton. Coming up next, Aubrey, I want to touch on something we started talking about on Monday's show uh, with J.D. Greer and all. And that is just should uh, it's a tweet from Alan Cross that calls into question. Should we stop broadcasting worship services altogether? Ooh. I'm going to read that tweet and we're going to discuss it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. But yesterday, we kind of started talking about church and what J.D. Greer said. If people missed it, they can go to right, the podcast. Right. But when he basically scolded his people for treating church as a production, and a lot of people really called him to task because his church is highly produced. Highly produced, massive <laughs> so, church. Yeah. a nuanced conversation, very interesting. If you really want to get our feel for it, go get the podcast from yesterday. But it's gotten some people thinking and talking about the church. So Alan Cross, who's been on our show before, uh, he let me read his tweet. And I, I'm just curious your thoughts. He okay. says, just thinking, 
Like, I like that disclaimer. Like, just hey, thinking. I don't know. This is what cement. This isn't the Bible. This is just thinking. I could be wrong. <laughs> just thinking. He says, should we stop broadcasting worship services online? Maybe we should stop with the satellite campuses. Mm. Maybe we should stop with sermon podcasts and TV radio ministry sermons. Mm. He's not saying our He's show. He's not talking about He's the talking common about the good, FYI, everybody. Maybe, <laughs> he says, maybe, quote unquote, church should be a live and lived experience and not something consumed and watched. He followed up later with this. For clarification, when I first wrote this, I wasn't thinking of cutting off connection for homebound. That's everybody's. What about? Yeah. What about? So he's trying to yeah. get ahead of it. He says, yeah. I wasn't trying to thinking of cutting off connection for homebound who watch online. That's needed. Rather, I thought of it not being a goal. I thought of it not being a goal to use local worship services and preaching to proliferate a public ministry, franchising, etc. Somebody else says later, yeah, you could help the homebound people by giving them a code or delivering them a, a so that other people can't watch Absolutely. the service. Or like, I mean, maybe this even, you know, this is obviously I'm 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 just spitting here, yep. spitballing Just here. thinking. If you actually love the homebound people, do the pastors go to the homebound person's church yep. or, or house, house and here's the devotion. Here's the sermon. Here's some music. You know, there there here's are communion. ways. Yep. To, yeah. So yeah. he's trying because you're right. A lot of people, when they read this, they go, what about the homebound? What about the mom? What yeah. about, you know, we got a baby. OK, sure. There's Fine. ways you yeah. can do this with a, a dedicated private link yes. to only people in the church, whatever mm-hmm. else it might be. So let's not get lost in that minutia. Let's instead go back to his much bigger, bigger mm-hmm. point, because here's what we know, especially since COVID. But really, before that, there's a lot of preachers and pastors and churches who uh, have huge platforms through people listening to their sermons, through people. Absolutely. Uh, wh- and there's people I know who, if you ask them what church they go to, they'll say, oh, I go, I watch. My pastor is John Gray down in Georgia. Right. And you're like, wait, you live in Missouri. Right. What right. do you What do you mean? That's I was your talking pastor. to someone yeah. from Illinois the other day who watches Craig Grishel every right. week. Well, maybe Alan Cross have a problem with that. I would say as a supplement, that's Absolutely, fine. But is. to call it your church. So what do you think he he's really wanting to bring church back to a live and lived experience, not yeah. something consumed? That's kind of his money quote. Maybe church should be a, li- yeah. a live and yeah. lived experience yeah. and not something consumed and watched. You know, it's kind of wild because we're going through our church is preparing to go through a few weeks in Romans. And so I've been working through like a, Just a stud- few weeks in Romans. Well, like nine weeks okay. in Romans. But we're going to do an all church like four, kind of four week thing in Romans as part of that. And um, so I've been studying Romans and working on a kind of a study guide for our church and this to me is what Paul is. Paul is not talking about podcasts and satellite campuses, right. et cetera. But what he's talking about is a lived theology. And we mm. get stuck, I think, in Romans on like soteriology and some of yep. the like doctrine. And we actually don't get to the end of Romans where Paul's like, no, 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 Jews and Gentiles, you have to learn to live your love for one another under the peace of Christ. Like you have to do this thing called church together. You mm. have to honor each other. You have to put each other's needs first. You have to put this stuff into practice so that you don't look like the culture. I mean, and so I, you know, somebody can come back to me and say, well, what about blah, 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 blah. I think Alan Cross is exactly right. And in general, I, 
even as a pastor, Brian, it's mm. so easy nowadays to look at the online worship services of the bigger churches, the more, quote, successful churches, and to compare yourself to them. And then you can go, well, our church isn't as valuable. Our church isn't as special. Our church isn't an anointed. The Spirit of God isn't here. And that's obviously the pastor has to do that work in their own that's soul right. not to go there. And yet... This sort of comparison thing would not even exist if we weren't putting our stuff online, right? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I mean, because the the one side is yes, church should be uh, live, lived, embodied, local. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, wholeheartedly believe that. Absolutely. The argument for the continuation of it is, well, then if we're not discipling people around the world, who is? They're going to tune into something. They're going to tune into Netflix. We might as well invite them to tune into a church sermon as well. Like, so we're going to remove all, like, I think about the guy who has the, um, the discord church, online gamer church. Oh, he pulls out. That's a whole population of people, especially like young gamers that he's reaching that nobody else is. So it's like, I don't know. I Mm. I can see arguments for 100 percent. Stop broadcasting worship service online, period. And also, but is God using them? Yeah, I think those are some good points. I think, first of all, let's make this point. This is not going away. Like it's fair. There's not going to be this great movement towards Getting offline. Everybody offline. Yes. So yeah. let's just, if you're wondering if we actually think this is going to happen, yeah. the answer to that is no. Yeah. Like it's going to keep going. With that said, I guess I would ask myself a couple questions if I had a big church. What's my motivation? Is this like platform building? Is this, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? Um, and what are we losing right now culturally? By this moving away a little bit from the lived and live church. Yeah. Because it's not just about platform. It's what J.D. Greer was getting mad about yesterday, right? It's people just kind of coming for the show and leaving. Like Consumerism. So for me, this has less to do with online versus live and has more to do with what is actually happening when you call something your church. Mm. Like what is your community there. Yeah. Like, what, what is are church? you doing? Because if if you go, okay, by live and live, then okay, fine, I'll show up every day, every Sunday at 10 and leave at 11. I'm not sure that's any better. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So I, I, I do think this is more a call back to kind of life on life. What's discipleship look like? What does all that look like? So yeah. D- yeah. Like living life together throughout the week with other Christians, kind of whatever the you know, taking the taking the acts to breaking bread, devoted to the word, meeting together consistently in our context. What does that look like? But what do I know? I've missed church the last two weeks. So <laughs> you've, been on, you've been on the beach. On but what vacation. do I know? <laughs> well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.